Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast, where we talk about all things OCD. I'm your host, Christina Orlova. If you enjoy this podcast and want to join my free OCD and anxiety relief community, go to www.coreresults.com forward slash Facebook. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash Facebook. See you there. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. So today I have Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona, and she is the author of a couple of books. One of the more recent ones is Living Beyond OCD Using Acceptance Commitment Therapy Workbook. Um, and she also has Act Beyond OCD online live class. So it's not pre-recorded, it's live, which is awesome. Um, and she runs the East Bay Behavioral Therapy Center. So welcome to the show, Zarita. Thank you How so are much you for doing having today? me, Christina. I appreciate yeah, how are you doing today? Thank you for asking. I'm doing well, enjoying the summer in the Bay Area. We're having sunny days, so that's always really, really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, listen, talking about weather, I was just in, in, in Reno recently. It was like a hundred, like ten or something, which was insane. So, <laughs> East Bay and Bay Area in general, it's a, it's a nicer kind of pace of change. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit more manageable, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I, I wanted to um, have you on and talk to you a bit about acceptance commitment therapy because I definitely know that you, um, this is something you've definitely incorporated a lot of and, and really talk a lot about and obviously you have your workbook out and classes around, especially um, using that for OCD treatment or with OCD um, because of course what we hear often is exposure response prevention, which we do know that is the number one treatment choice, but also people hear things like ACT. And so how, like, what does that mean, right? I think most people don't know. So I thought today might be a nice, you know, way for us to get a little bit into, you know, what, what is kind of the main principle behind ACT, just, just so listeners can have um, an idea of, of what, what that really means. Because I, I think a lot that the word ACT gets thrown around a lot. And people say, oh, okay, I want, to, I want my OCD treated. And, and, and do you use ACT? I want to use ACT. But I don't think they quite understand what they're asking or what that means even. So if you can kind of demystify that for us, um, <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's really a great question because I think ACT has become a buzzword, right? Mm-hmm. The air, right? <laughs> um, if we can step back a little bit, I think a short way to conceptualize and think of ACT is to um, uh, to clarify that it's a research-based approach. Is what we call a third uh, wave therapy. Um, within cognitive behavior therapy, there are different types of research-based approaches. Um, ACT is one type of cognitive behavior therapy. But what is very unique and perhaps exclusive to ACT is that um, it invites all of us to get in touch with the things that matter to us, our personal values, and to take action towards living those values. And when we are taking action to do the things that are important to us, we learn ACT skills to handle all the noise that shows up, um, um, obsessions, panic sensations, uncomfortable feelings, um, thoughts about being a failure. So in a nutshell, ACT is all about figuring out what's important to you, doing what is important to you, and making room for all the yucky stuff that comes when you're doing what matters to you. 
Um, so that would be a, maybe a brief way to think of ACT. And it's basically, I think, brings the best of two worlds, mindfulness and behaviorists together. It's really, you know, such a perfect and beautiful marriage. And it's very impactful in the work we do. In the case of OCD and anxiety, as we know, we know that exposure response prevention is definitely the gold standard. And there has been plenty of clinical trials showing how effective it is. And also, we know that there is a lot of people who feel very overwhelmed when hearing about ERP. Um, imagine that you have fears of being a pedophile, and you hear that a treatment is about imagining that you're a pedophile, or reading stories about pedophiles. It's really scary. So what we know is the frontline treatment. We also know that it can be scary for people. And that's one of the reasons why they don't approach treatment. Um, also, this idea of facing our fears, worries, obsessions, as much as we know as clinicians that it's effective, it's, it's really hard work. Think about our fears, right? Like I travel with a collection of fears and every time facing those fears, it's hard work, right? It's uncomfortable. I'm getting out of my comfort zone. We feel emotionally overwhelmed. So in my experience, I think that one size exposure doesn't fit all. And I think that we do need to have different research-based approaches that people can relate to. Um, So I think in that sense, I think that... um, ACT is by itself an exposure approach because you cannot do what matters without getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah, good point. (laughs) By nature, every time we're doing what is important to us, we are actually experiencing some form of exposure. Mm -hmm. And in the treatment of OCD and chronic worry and panic disorder and specific phobias, we do more targeted exposures. Right, where if you are afraid of taking the elevator or if you are afraid of um, catastrophic endings, we're still going to do exposure to those particular stimuli, situations, objects that have become aversive. So I don't think too much as ACT and ERP as two different things. I know I talk a lot about that because there is a misconception that ACT doesn't do exposure. Mm-hmm. But ACT as a model is exposure up and down, left and right. Mm-hmm. And we also do targeted exposures for whatever has become aversive in a person's life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think that actually is interesting. Yeah. Because I think there is a lot of misconception and I think there is, um, I also see, you know, folks who are predominantly ERP focused and then they'll infuse act principles, um, like values, um, in using your values to guide your decisions versus your anxiety. Um, and then concepts like acceptance, acceptance of whatever you're in front of at the moment, yeah. um, instead of trying to fight it or change it, learning how to embrace it. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to that in terms of for folks with OCD um, and, and for now getting away from the ERP conversation and more towards the acceptance piece? Because I think a lot of people... Um, can get the concept, the idea of, okay, I, I'm going to accept whatever moment I'm in. But a lot of times folks with OCD, of course, when things are really firing, everything feels intensive. And so oftentimes there's this question, well, how can I accept when I'm sitting there and I, I, I feel you know horrendous and everything feels really difficult and I feel anxiety through the roof and I'm panicking and I want to throw up and, you know, and I'm having these, this, these fear thoughts, whatever they, they are for the person, um, how would ACT 
um, kind of conceptualize or address the acceptance component in something like that? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Christine, because I think you nailed it. Um, we know that a lot of people are doing act-infused ERP. They're adding the values and the diffusion component and the acceptance. And that's definitely one way. That is definitely one way of um, embedding act skills. Um, I am more like a purist. I go the heavy, you know, I have drink the Kool-Aid of act, right? <laughs> now I'm breathing and living act. Um, here is what I can tell you, what I witnessed over and over in my clinical work, and I write a whole section about it in the book. Um, every time um, I was doing ERP, whether that's traditional ERP based, based on the habituation model or the inhibitor learning model, and even when I start more piloting act um, exposures, what I hear was that my clients were very hooked in different thoughts about their anxieties, about how they're supposed to respond to thinking. Um, because we have received so many messages about the power of thinking, change your thoughts, change your life, right? Mm-hmm. And when we have, when we're dealing with anxiety in the case of OCD and chronic worry, we do have a sticky brains. They are holding easily to many messages. Mm-hmm. Which means that most of my clients, um, quite likely you have seen the same in your work, and may have experienced the same. Um, we take our mind and our thoughts very seriously. Mm-hmm. In the case of OCD, I have identified nine common ruling thoughts that my client were getting hooked on. And ruling thoughts are thoughts that are very rigid, are sticky, are hard to let go. Mm-hmm. So here's one example of a ruling thought. Because I think so, it makes me so. Mm-hmm. If I have this image of stabbing a child, it makes me a murderer. Okay. Uh, if I have an image of giving you COVID, it makes me a bad person. Or here's another ruling thought. If I think a lot about this thought, means it's important. Mm-hmm. Right? And imagine, we have like thousands of thoughts, images, pictures in our mind a day. Um, another common ruling thought, um, I have to respond to every single thought that pops up in my mind because it's important. Mm-hmm. Another ruling thought will be um, not responding to my thought is causing harm to others. Therefore, it makes me a bad person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So the reason why I'm sharing this is because the way that I practice ACT, and again, ACT is such a flexible model. People are doing it different ways. I can share what I, has, I have found that works in, in the work I do and we have a couple of papers also coming out next year. Um, after um, I have an intake and we identify a map how the OCD is affecting a person's life, uh, before jumping to exposure, I teach my clients micro skills to develop a new relationship with their thinking, a new relationship with their worries and anxieties. Because that is going to help them to create a context of change, to face their obsessions, and to do exposures. Mm -hmm. The big advantage of that process is that um, when clients learn to take their mind lightly and they are not getting hooked too often, Mm -hmm. they are already at approaching exposure with less stickiness. Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not perfect because therapy doesn't go smooth, right? It's not like that. We have like many detours and a lot of, a lot of dancing that we do many times. Uh, but what I can tell you is that teaching clients to catch these ruling thoughts, 
teaching them to see how the mind works, how our mind and your mind has a life in its own. Mm-hmm. It helps them to actually loosen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And face exposures with that mindset makes a huge difference. So I know for us, we can... A lot of the comments that we hear from clients, how I'm going to accept this start, it feels so overwhelming. What are you asking me to do? I can't. But imagine if before jumping into doing anything with exposures, we teach our clients and we learn ourselves how to take our minds lively. So creating that context of change helps in the process of exposure to have less blocks, to have less hurdles. So I think that will be this um, my approach, right? That I found that what I teach my clients, again, this micro skill to develop a new relationship with thinking, understanding how their mind works and catching how these ruling thoughts are keeping them hooked, um, we do have um, maybe a larger engagement in exposures. Mm, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of folks have been doing this in different ways, right? If you have heard sometimes some of the ACT folks, they like to encourage their clients to practice mindfulness, or you have some people telling them doing mindfulness, mindful-based ERP, right? Um, in some way, in some way, what I am doing is exactly the same thing with that caveat that I think we're teaching people more targeted mindfulness skills on the sense, look what is that ruling thought doing in your life? Look how you're responding to it. Um, so I think it's a little bit more precise, but it's under the same umbrella of let's step back and before jumping into facing our obsessions, let's really check how the mind really works. And what, how has it worked in your life when every time you have a thought, you keep responding to it? Yeah, as you're talking, I mean, I, I know you're using the language you're using, but it makes you think of like cognitive distortions or unhelpful thinking styles. So it's really learning those mental processes. And like you were saying, th- those ways that you can get hooked. Um, it almost makes me think like for, for some folks, I, I'll teach them to start to, as we look at the, stor- the list of different cognitive distortions, to look at what are some of the common ways and patterns that show up for you, especially when you're in the presence of your anxiety um, and or OCD hooks and triggers? And then how does that line of thinking oftentimes um, lead you right into compulsive rumination processes where you just get stuck in this hamster wheel um, and you think you're doing something new or you're figuring something out, but you're not realizing you're actually just doing more of the same Maybe you're changing your questions around a little bit, but it's really just more of the same process and you haven't actually done anything. You haven't gone anywhere and you feel actually less clarity, more anxiety. Um, and so how, how to kind of put all that together. And then, of course, like, as you were saying, to really start to see that process for mm-hmm. what it is and be able to st- just step back from it. And, and oftentimes also how to kind of step in and talk to yourself because we all have that, this inner kind of conversation we have with ourselves anyway, that self-talk. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, people. I'm like, you, you know, you, I mean, it happens already anyway. It's, it's nothing you have to even put any energy into. It's already there. But if we put conscious attention to it, you can recognize, you can start directing it. And if you can start directing it, then you can say, Hey, I get to choose where it's going to go. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think um, I, I love this idea of stepping back a little bit. And I think in my mind, the way that I think of this is there are two tiers of struggles. One is the, the OCD episodes. 
a person gets triggered, they engage in avoidant behavior, public compulsion or mental compulsion, and then we have the consequences until they get triggered again. So that's one, one level. But the other level is the, the relationship people have with thinking. I think actually that can block a lot of the exposures. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that's what, to me, my work is extremely important to create a context of change before jumping into exposures, right? This idea of saying yes to the yucky stuff because it matters to me is really, really hard work. Uh, yeah. So I think doing values definitely super important, super important. And we know that values, working, working on our values and doing what's important to us is intrinsically reinforcing. It feels good to be the person we want to be in our relationships, in the work we do. But I also think that plus developing a new relationship with your mind, in which you take your mind lively, it creates a powerful, it's a powerful combo for doing exposures. So that, that to me, in the work I do has been crucial, uh, has been very, I think, very key, very fundamental. Yeah, and it sounds like what you were saying exactly right in terms of that um, each individual has a slightly different approach and or slightly different way that they're different ways they present and, and different challenges and motiv- motivating factors. And so, exactly right, knowing that you have different ways how to approach it um, to help them ultimately end of the days learn that you know you're not your thoughts. You have thoughts. We all have thoughts, yes. but just because I have a bunch of thoughts that doesn't necessarily define exactly who I am. That's just one component. Um, and it sounds like though, the way that you're using ACT and what you're describing, it's, it's really helping them have the entry point of learning how the mind actually works, how their thinking patterns work, how that hooks them in more so they can develop a different relationship and understanding of that mental process. And then um, they can get into more um, advanced exposures yeah, that's a beautiful recap, right? It's about creating the context of change by learning how the mind works. Mm-hmm. By looking at all the messages I have received about worries and anxieties, how mm-hmm. I'm handling, uh, handling all those messages, how they work in my life. Do they help me to be the person I want to be? Or are they taking me farther away? And then we develop a values-based exposure menu. And then we organize these values-based exposures always in regard to my values, uh, so that is also very different, right? Um, and again, I don't have the truth with capital T here, but what I can tell you is what has worked in my work with clients that we, uh, in exposures many times we have been trained and I have been one of those therapists trained to push the envelope all the way, like licking my hands and touching the floor or eating candy in the, um, after they have touched the, the floor of a bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is different with ACT is that you do start the values-based exposures based on the context of a person's life. In life, no one goes to eat candy into a bathroom. That's just something we don't do. In life, no one walks licking their hand, you know, after they have touched right. <laughs> Unless they're five years old, right? Like the kids do that, right? But the adults, we don't that. Right. So that is also something that is different. Now, I criticize many times of clinicians is that, oh, these act therapies are too soft. They are very, very soft. Um, I think behavior therapy and guiding our clients and in our lives facing our fears, there is no research showing that soft approaches don't work. Um, and I also think if by soft we mean anchoring every single exposure in what a person matters, 
I will take that. It's a compliment uh, because I have seen actually when my clients start their exposures based on what matters and what they are willing to do versus how much or little anxiety they're going to have. It's a different conversation. Uh, now, I'm saying this, of course, from a place of being an act purist. I am not doing embedded act or infused act or things like that. I'm just more embracing the whole model, right? So if needed, if needed, as in some cases, we will definitely intensify and augment exposures. Uh, but it's not, that is not the starting point. The question I think many times during exposure is how much is too much, um, and that is a question that we never had before as a trained um, exposure therapist, right? So I think within ACT, right, one, there is no research showing that you have to turn the envelope all the way uh, for exposure to be successful. We also have learned with the work of Michelle Krasker that clients don't have to have experience high levels of anxiety to learn. Um, the way that I think about this in terms of the exposure processes is that there is definitely our comfort zone that is our learning zone, and that is our burning out zone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Too much here, they actually develop the belief so they cannot handle it. And then we have this continuation of treatments, right? And then added the years of shame and embarrassment that people have with obsessions. So I think with the ACT approach, um, and again, the way that I think of it is that we do help people to move out of that comfort zone into the learning zone by facing their obsessions. And if needed, we may intensify them. Um, for example, if it's okay to share an example. Yes, please. I'm sure everybody would love to hear one. Yeah. Just to clarify this, um, I did have a client with obsessions of his partner cheating in the relationship. And my client read a lot of OCD books and watched many YouTube videos and um, attended many workshops. My client knew that one of the exposures would be imagining that the person is being cheated and touching on them. So that was actually the reason why my client never started treatment, because it was a petrifying thing. Now, in your life and in my life, it will be an awful thing that I have to imagine that my partner is cheating on me. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think nobody would like to imagine that in their <laughs> So why do we ask clients to do so? So in the treatment, actually, we map the OCD episodes and we develop more situational exposures because my client used to do more um, primarily mental compulsions, checking the feelings and a lot of scanning the partner's behaviors and avoiding any partner that, um, that potentially could be found attractive by the partner, right? Mm-hmm. So we did more situational exposures like hanging out with people that may look attractive to the partner, right? Just being playful with things like that. I never did an imaginal exposure. Imagine that my client's partner was chilling in the relationship. Um, was the treatment successful? The Y book says so. My client is in an incredible relationship uh, life right now. Um, but that was Casing with, I didn't have to push the envelope. In other cases, yes, I had to because some thoughts were sticky. I had a client that was afraid of harming children, and when my client, you know, raising children, you sometimes have to set limits, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a common and say, no, you cannot do this. But when my client was getting triggered, had this feel like I'm harming my children. I am emotionally abusing them. And really, really far from doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So part of the exposure was writing flashcards, you know, what my client was doing. Um, so on that, and then leaving them in different bathrooms or in different hallways, right? Because the fear is, what, what if someone, you know, sees me and they, they kidnap my children or they remove my children? Um, so on that case, we did push the exposures. Um, as you can see, there is no one rule here of having to turn the exposures all the way. Uh, but there is more about really looking at training our ears and our eyes. Where is the stickiness, right? And how much do I push the envelope? And when I don't have to, because by helping people to approach what they have been avoiding in their life, they are getting better. And you, Yeah, and, and I, I love that distinction that you made, which is that, you know, depending on who you're sitting with, right, really learning how to apply these principles, because you're exactly right that, you know, there, there are times and places where definitely based on your value system as well, it's not going to be appropriate to do certain things, but you could still find other ways to be in that exposed state so that you can still practice observing and really being present and kind of seeing what is your mind doing, what's your body doing and understanding how, how this is all working together um, and learning over time what's actually going on versus what you keep anticipating is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. If we think about cases of um, a scrupulous OCD in which clients have religious background, that's really hard, you know, to be doing things against your your face, to be doing things against your own morals. That's really, really hard. So I think, again, it is important that, that to, to remember that the act by nature is exposure and act is process-based. There is no one-size-fits-everyone. In that case, exposure, that's very clear. And it's really looking, when do I need to, is my client getting too hooked on this stuff? After we have done all these values-based exposure, is my client still engaging too quick into mental compulsions or public compulsions? Do mm-hmm. we have a lot of checking? And then in conversation with a client and always as a team, we agree that you know we may have to turn on a little bit of exposure and augment them, right? Yeah. But I don't think that's the starting point, which is also very unique of ACT. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And for anybody listening today, where can folks find you? Um, well, first, thank you for having me. I appreciate your oh, kindness. Absolutely. With um, well, I hang out a lot in Twitter. I'm more like a Twitter person. Right? I love that 140 characters. So. <laughs> Um, if people are interested, I also have an Instagram account, um, Act for OCD and Anxiety. And we do have the online class, um, Act Beyond OCD, which we only run twice a year because it's a live class. It includes 16 hours of direct coaching by myself, two sessions a week. So it's a very comprehensive program. Um, it's based on the book, but it's, it has extra materials, right? Uh, for people who are interested, I ask them to read the first two sections of the book. That's all what they have to do. And then I teach all the actor skills. Um, and again, it's the, one of the sessions, the workshop session, when I'm teaching the skills. And then the next session is QA, when we are troubleshooting what went wrong with practicing the skills. Because as we know, right, there is something about learning, but then practicing the skill in action, that's a different story, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> The other place, the website is uh, www.actbeyondoc.com. That's the other way in which people can find me. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. 
If you are ready to take control of your life, join our free five-day OCD recovery kickstart challenge. Go to www.coreresults.com forward slash number five day challenge. That's K-O-R results.com forward slash number five, the word day and challenge.